0: Welcome to Cat Pick Friday's episode number 16 and once again I'm reminding you to like, share, subscribe, YouTube, podcast things and also want to remind you that this show is available both on YouTube and Apple Podcasts and Spotify and no matter where you're listening slash watching please consider giving us a like and maybe leaving a review and just bumping this thing up in the almighty algorithm. Fun show today as well. But before we move on to the show contents, Richard Morgan is here again. Hey, yay! Hi, everybody. <laughs>
1: Welcome back to another Friday. Yes, A 16th. 16th. Although I haven't done 16. How many have I done? Five, six. I can't uh, remember now.
0: I don't know anymore. Y- you've been on <laughs> at least six episodes of this plus the uh, Master the Basics show at least. So. Yeah. True. Wow. Something like that. Uh. For YouTube viewers, yes, I need to address something. I have a freaking ponytail again. This is the result of COVID-19. haven't
1: <laughs> got of, a lot to answer for.
0: Yeah. Like, I feel I've made a jump back to 2014 because that's when I cut <laughs> my long hair and got this, I don't know, hipster ponytail. And I think my style is from 2014. That, that, that thing was in 2014. I don't know if it's in now, but maybe in a few weeks, I'll actually go to a barbershop, especially if I manage to get my first vaccine shot in a few weeks, then maybe, I don't know, exciting times. Or maybe you could grow it, (laughs) grow it super long. Uh, I don't know. I had it for many years, and I kind of don't feel like going back. We'll see. This turned into hair talk all of a sudden, so... (laughs) But yeah, fun show today, we're going to dive into the new, more intelligent guitar, for those who are listening on the podcast platforms, I'm putting that in air quotes, because uh, it's debatable whether it's actually intelligent or not, Uh, we're going to talk about the Fender Final Fantasy Stratocaster, which looks cool, Rob Chapman leaving victory amps, some rumors about the upcoming MacBook Airs, M2 ones, and that's relevant because they are Pretty cool machines for music production at home. Uh, Talk about uh, Stevie T's channel being hacked and all the things happening around that. We'll dive into our worst gear purchases and somehow ended up listing three amps as my gear purchases more on that a bit later in the show. (laughs) And we'll also talk about my Tokai strat that was actually my first strat ever and answer some of your questions and comments. And in Weekend Watch Recommendation, we'll dive into something that's... I don't know if there's a more Finnish thing than that video, because it inc- includes rally cars, going to a sauna, it includes a heavy metal singer, and going to a like, college, and all things Finland. So more on that in a bit later. But I think it's time to dive into the recent happenings right away and talk about intelligent guitars. Oh... Mm-hmm. Alright, as it is, Moo launches G- GTRS intelligent guitars via Indiegogo with a super knob. <laughs> There's an exclamation point on gearnews.com. <laughs> <laughs> a super knob. And uh, basically, based on what I'm seeing, slash reading, slash hearing, uh, it's a guitar with a bunch of like built-in more effects, amp simulations, and stuff like that, I think.
1: That's what it sounds like to me. I'm extremely interested to test the super knob. And (laughs) the specifications of the guitar look interesting, and it looks like it can do a lot of cool stuff. But I've noticed that most people don't seem to think this is going to be a good thing, and most people seem to think that the technology behind it is not going to be very applicable in five, ten, twenty years time.
0: Yeah. That that's I guess that I think that's my issue with this thing because uh I saw this comment on I think on 60 Cycle Hum Facebook group uh on this guitar and somebody just mentioned oh cool Moore just put an expiry date on the guitar which kind of <laughs> it, it's kind of true to be honest yeah because Especially with yeah. the company strategy putting out... Like, they're putting out so much new stuff every single year that I don't know if this guitar will be in any way relevant in two years, let alone 10 years. Yeah,
1: yeah it's funny. Like Their R&D team pumps out so much from pedals to amps to other niche sort of things like modelers. And now we have this... GTRS guitars division. I don't know if it's actually Moore the company or if it's like an offshoot or a sister. And it's being funded by crowdfunding, right? By yeah. Indiegogo. So you have to do one of those kind of online things where you sort of pay in advance to kind of get something. And if enough people buy it, they will produce the guitars. That's
0: how I understand it. Mm. I think this kind of. Is that something you would do? Uh, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> basically. On- first of all i think i saw that it would be like 300 dollars. but looking at the specs it seems to have like the guitar itself looks great i think like very this uh sir type of super strat or like an hss strat looks great and yeah that's what i thought it reminds me of the
1: um the schecter nick johnston ah
0: that's true model
1: like the hss model that he has and i think it has a rosewood fingerboard that was the stat that Stuck out for me at three hundred dollars these days, you don't see a lot of rosewood fingerboards
0: yeah, the thing is like i'm I'm trying to figure out whether it is actually three hundred dollars because I think I saw somewhere that it actually might have like a roasted maple neck could that is that actually
1: true yeah I, uh, yeah, I saw that uh, from memory, an American basewood body and a Canadian roasted maple neck coupled with a rosewood board, and I don't think. Any guitars even sell that spec for $300 without the intelligence. You know, I don't yeah. think you can get a real, like a Squire or an Epiphone or any other brand with those specifications for that much money today. So either the specs are wrong or that price 300 is not right. I mean, how could it be? That, how could they make any money whatsoever off that?
0: Yeah, I mean, Harlebenton does have... Uh uh, some roasted uh, maple or, or caramelized—I don't know how they're calling them—but I think they have something caramelized. The... <laughs> I, I've heard like that's Caramel- an actual caramelized term. with a maple syrup fingerboard. <laughs> that's actually a term I've heard. Yeah, okay, I think because there's, I think like at least in some a, countries with a chocolate
1: they... <laughs> fudge finish. That's a tasty guitar. Sorry. Yep.
0: Okay. I have them today, and I need to. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's all good. Uh, I think. I think roasted maple is like a trademark thing at some places at least. I don't Ah, think it's it's a trademark thing in like EU, but some because I've seen caramelized or like baked maple neck, and you know like yeah, baked.
1: I've seen for sure. Don't think I've ever seen caramelized, but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if someone has a you know a trademark on the name for using that. I don't know who it would be, but yeah, anyway. I mean, I feel like if they are going to do this intelligent guitar, they should probably also sell a non-intelligent version, which is just that guitar, because if they could make that guitar with those specifications without all the intelligent stuff, presumably that would sell for less than 300, if 300 is going to be the price, Mm. and that would be amazing value for money, if they're any good. Yeah. which I assume they are, as in the press releases, they say that they've been sent out to people and tested to make sure that they got the best possible playing guitar. So it's a very interesting project, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Uh, one question I have is, like, who is this for? Like, what are the Like, besides being a fun practice guitar, I'm not sure what other user cases you might have for this, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, have you seen the video that they released? The the promo video? The girl playing uh, this guitar on a subway? Yeah, exactly. There's basically a, a girl who she, I think at the start of the video, is using like a traditional guitar rig with proper guitar pedals and an amp and wires and all that kind of stuff. And they mm. say, it's the end of all that traditional nonsense. You've got a guitar with a super knob that has everything built in. And so, um yeah, she then is in a variety of scenarios, like in the park busking, I think, and then on a subway yeah. train, just with headphones, just playing a guitar as, as you do. Never, ever. But <laughs> she's doing that. And then she walks into a gig and plays it as well. And I, it seems like from that video, you know, and as someone as a marketer who's marketed products in a similar way before, it feels like that they're advertising it for people who want one guitar that can replace their whole entire rig and do everything. And yeah. they're looking exclusively at people who are going to be into the whole digital thing. It's not going to be a professionally marketed thing, and especially for the price. But yeah. on the other hand, I feel like they are trying to go a bit up market with it because of the rebrand. You know, if there mm-hmm. was a guitar that said Mua on the headstock, you would automatically think, okay, this is, you know, a cheap, affordable thing. And, you know, Moore effects are very good, but they're in a certain price, quality, threshold bracket, you know. Yep. But this guitar is just going to have GTRS, and I think it's a, a bit of a rebrand for them. Yep.
0: I, I guess that's why they also, like, launching it on Indiegogo. Maybe they want to have, like, a secondary company doing that or something like that. Uh, going back are to the video by you? the way, she's bus, yeah. like she, she's playing in a park, but she doesn't have an amp or anything. So so is she like playing through just acoustically? Because <laughs> you can do that with any electric guitar. <laughs> that I work?
1: don't know what she's doing. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> is there going to be like a Bluetooth thing in there? And she's connected oh. by the guitar to headphones. But if she's doing that, I assume that there would be so much lag that it would be unplayable. I don't know. I don't know what the idea is there.
0: Mm. It's
1: an interesting thought, though. Maybe that guitar comes with a wireless connection and you can somehow do that. Or maybe it was just a thing that they thought looked cool. Yeah. Uh, You know, maybe it's a thing where they saw the Boss Wazza headphones and thought, yeah, we can get in on that market by showcasing (laughs) this. I don't know.
0: Yeah, could be. Uh, To me, this is something that I thought about with with the acoustic as well is that i'm not comfortable with the fact that i need to charge a guitar because i've had situations where my battery dies during the song or during the show and what are you doing when that happens because on a traditional guitar you can take out the battery put in a new one and you're back uh, on the next song at least with this one nope yeah, that is a
1: um that is an interesting question. It's um I think it's obviously something that people would not take out to uh, proper shows with. I mean you couldn't, could you? Uh, just for the risk of it. It will be yeah. very interesting to see what the battery life is. You know? Yeah. Um there are certain products on the market today, like amplifiers, for example, that have um like it's called I think a, a hot battery changeover. So Mm. someone else can swap the battery for you and while you do the swap the thing keeps working so if they have some system like that in place, could be a doer but I think it's uh, yeah, I think that's not really realistic
0: yeah I have like, even though I'm fairly negative about this or like, skeptical, let's put it that way, I'm also kind of a little bit interested to try this out it could be a lot of fun like especially if it's a budget friendly instrument, just have this as your like it's a could be a great practice rig, for example.
1: Yeah, exactly. For that kind of money, it seems like a no-brainer to at least try it. And I mean the Mua effects are good. People yeah. have been talking about um the built-in effects unit could be this the GE three hundred. And if the guitar has all of that built into it for that price, that would be a one a one stop practice solution for anybody yeah. anywhere. For example, you know, if you're going away somewhere, if you're going on holiday, if you're just going somewhere else for a day, or you take it to the office with you, and you can literally just play in your lunch break or something, you don't need an amp, you don't need pedals. It seems like you literally just need the guitar and the headphones. Yep. And in that sense, if, it, if it's any good, I think they'll sell a lot. Yep,
0: that's true. So, Depending, yeah.
1: of course, on what the technology is going to be, and that's the other question: How long will it be relevant for? And how long will Moore continue to update the products? You know, if it has yeah. software and apps and stuff, how long will they keep checking into it and making sure that the latest operating systems work with it and stuff like that? That's the other question.
0: Yeah, that that's where like I have very little faith in Moore. I've demoed several products where software felt outdated by the time the product was like in my hands, like, six yeah. months after they re- released, like, the... Uh, what's it? What was it called? I need to check. I did a video on that as well. Moo-something-something. Something. Uh, I think it was ah, Preamp Live.
1: Something-something. Uh, yes. Ah, the one, the Preamp Live, where you can, like, yeah. sort of profile amplifiers almost.
0: Yeah, like, the software was yeah, so buggy on the Mac version. Like, uploading anything yeah. there, like, anything like that, like... I don't think that's product, that product isn't relevant anymore. Like even though it was like yeah, released just a couple of years ago, I think.
1: Yeah, that's that's a really interesting product, that one, because it came out with a massive fanfare. And I remember a lot of videos from big yep. guys like Fluff, you know, using it and showing in the videos yep. at least that it sounded very good. And it seemed to be like a genuine contender against, for example, the Kemper Profiler, you know, a much cheaper version for people who wanted to do things like this, but I personally don't know anyone who ever bought that preamp live and you don't see it in shops or anything. You nope. never see it listed for sale in, you know, second-hand guitar markets or anything like that. It's just, it didn't catch on. And I think you're right now that the technology is no longer kind of kept up to date by Moore and if you do have one, it's getting harder and harder to use it.
0: Yep. That's the thing, like uh compared to Helix, for example, the helix stomp is still like very relevant and they keep updating yep. it all the time adding like uh even though it has limited processing power because they keep pushing more and more updates they're actually able to get more out of it, which is really cool I think they just like it used to have like let's say six fx block now I think it I think it has eight or something so like if yep. you bought your hx stomp three years ago it's even better now. And that, that's fantastic. I like that approach a lot. With MooWeb, I get a sense that it's creating a product that's good enough and throwing it out there and then moving on to the next thing. But I could be wrong. Maybe this is a completely different approach. Maybe they want to do something differently. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it could be. And I, I hope it is because for me personally, I think the idea looks really interesting and yeah, yeah like a lot of fun. So I, I hope it does work out and that the technology actually works for a a longer period of time. Just out of interest, I was just navigating the Toman website as we were talking, and I found the most affordable Harley Benton guitar with an ebony fingerboard, and that's Mm. €299. So ballpark pricing, I don't know.
0: Yeah, We'll see, we'll see. We'll keep an eye out on these, and hopefully one (laughs) day we'll get to try one out. That would be really interesting. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Moving on to the next thing, Fender and a Final Fantasy. Uh, wait, how do Roman numerals work? That's XIV is 14, right? 14, <laughs> Strat- yeah. Yes, Stratocaster. <coughs> uh, we talked about this briefly yesterday. Yeah. Final Fantasy 7 was like... A I don't know, like, that game blew my mind back in the day, and, like, it was so so amazing. I might have um, not so legally downloaded it, but I was, I don't know, (laughs) how how well I was at the time, I don't remember remember anymore, but, like, in my teens, I'm guessing, and that game blew my mind, and I still have, like, a soft spot for that whole series, even though I haven't played it in 15 years, at least. This guitar looks amazing, by the way.
1: It does. Yeah,
0: it's a, it's an amazing collaboration.
1: Final Fantasy VII is also probably my favorite game, definitely in the top three or the top five. Like I spent hours and hours and hours completing that game, and it's one of the only RPG games like that that I actually went and played through to the finish because the story was so good, the gameplay was so good, the graphics were so good for the time, and yeah. the music was awesome as well. Yeah, the whole thing that was that it's an amazing game and. I actually find it hard to believe that since then, they've created seven more games and I haven't really played any of them. I started with Final Fantasy VIII, I think, and never really got into it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. but this guitar looks pretty fantastic. It comes with a pretty fantastic price tag too, $3,500. <laughs> but if you're a, a Final Fantasy fan with a little bit of extra cash right now, money to burn, then what a cool... Collector's piece, or a piece of art, or something like that.
0: Yeah, for those who are listening uh, to the podcast version, it's basically like a uh, single, single, single strat, uh, which is black. But there's like, how would you even describe like on the arm cut? There's kind of from the black, it fades into this blue color. Or is it, it's not the color. It's like what are they calling it? It kind of fades. I'm just in. pulling up the picture now. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm so like it fades into almost this like transparent glow thing. I'm not sure how to call it. I'm trying to see.
1: Yeah, it it almost looks like the body of the guitar itself is made of you know like clear acrylic, you know yeah. like some of the old Dan Armstrong instruments. Yeah. And it would be totally see-through, but it's got like on the the lower horn it's got purple kind of almost stars it almost looks like an intergalactic Mm. sort of thing going on like a purple light show and up at the the opposite end of the guitar where the where your playing arm sits the upper bout it's got that in kind of a what a turquoise or a bright blue it looks a bit Mm. different in all the different colors but it, it looks it looks fantastic
0: yeah but that looks great and like depending on the lighting it will like those Purple and blue parts will look very different. I like that a lot. And apparently, you can like play this guitar in one of the games as well at some point, which is really, really cool. Yeah, that's an amazing idea. Yeah, uh, I also like that. I think like uh, this makes a lot of sense to do something like this because, uh, like, guitars and like especially maybe like metal community. And games are kind of, there's a lot of YouTubers that do like metal covers of games, and stuff like that. A good friend of ours, Jack, for example, does that so, so well. And a bunch of other people as well that are huge YouTubers as well. What What's another guy that actually like uh, <laughs> had Petrucci feature on his channel at some point? And oh, yeah. It? Who was that? I'm Um, sorry, I'm completely forgetting your name right now. I've even met him a couple of times and, oh, man. Uh, Something with Jay, but I don't remember anymore. Oh, well, maybe next time.
1: (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, but this would be this would be perfect for Jack from Toxic X Eternity, for example, he's done Final Fantasy videos before and him being able to use this to to do a cover of the battle themes or whatever from Final Fantasy yeah. would be absolutely amazing. Oh man, that'll be awesome!
0: Yeah, really cool guitar. So the next piece of news is that Rob Chapman is leaving Victory Amps and go- and he already w- <laughs> went to Batcat Amps. So that's interesting. And we talked about this. Uh, this is an I guess a very interesting move because. Victory Amps kind of, well, not only because of Rob Chapman, but Victory Amps are kind of known and exist because of him, I want to say, in a way, like him and obviously Andertons and Lee Anderton especially. But yeah,
1: Yeah. I've always connected Victory very much to Andersons, Andertons (laughs) and, you know, the guys who kind of, circle around Anderton's, Rob, Lee Anderton, Rabia, and now Danish Pete as well. They're for me, the biggest proponents of victory amps. And you know, Rabia has a signature model, the Kraken, and so does Rob. Rob has the BD1 or he had, I mean, it's been discontinued Mm. now, of course. But yeah, they were for me the epitome of that brand and, and very Symbolic as figureheads for it for me, and I don't think that many guitar players would have ever heard of victory amps if it were not for those
0: players. Yeah, did it like Lee Anderton almost like help to start victory amps? I don't like Martin Kidd used to work someplace else that I'm just forgetting right now, and then he's he designed p- a bunch of
1: different amps yeah. over the years. Martin Kidd,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, Interesting move, like, I, I'm already sensing, like, there's a big gap between, like, Rob and Andertons now and Rob and Rabia, maybe, because he also announced that he's leaving the J band and stuff like that. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. been an
1: interesting couple of years for Rob. He yeah. had, um, you know, he had the controversy with him around Nam 2020, I think it was. Yeah. Um, And since then, we've had the COVID thing going on, and he's moved to Malta with his family, for example. So he's physically far away from his friendship group, in that sense, who are all in the UK. And obviously, the Andertons video shoots couldn't happen, and they've done a few since then. But it's like, yeah, it seems to be a bit of a split happening in that sense. Which he stresses is amicable, by the way. It's all friendly, they've not fallen out or anything like that. It's all cool. But he's just moving on. And I got the impression that he maybe felt a little bit limited. He wants to do more kind of work with other amp companies and wasn't able to do it when he was so tightly tied to
0: the victory thing, possibly. Yeah, I, I completely understand that as well. Uh, <laughs> it kind of sounds like an end of an era that was like, you could see that's coming, I guess, because like Rob Chapman kind of started the whole YouTube guitar thing. Like he's one of the like biggest people to like biggest influences on making that happen. Maybe Rob Scallon was one as well but in a different way. But yeah, but I'm I'm just going to say Rob Chapman started the whole guitar gear demo YouTube thing from his Yeah, that's that's like,
1: how I see it as well. He's the daddy of all this this yeah. industry that lots of guys now make a career. I think it all happened pretty much because of Rob Chapman. So yep. Yeah, that's quite some legacy. He's done incredibly well for himself, you know, because he has Chapman guitars too, and and mm. that's another thing which is kind of tied to Victory in a way. I feel like you've you've seen a lot of people over the last four or five years who own a Chapman guitar and a Victory amp, and it's in a large part because of guys like Rob Chapman and Lee Anderton, and Rabia and Danish Pete, That yeah. little group, yep. and now it seems like that little group is breaking apart a little bit. It's kind of sad in a way, you know, this True. kind of when things move on because at their high times when it was going the best for them, it was amazing. They were at the top of their game and they were the best people on the internet doing what they do.
0: Yeah, they, they were like a, a must watch for a while for me. Both like the Anderson's videos and Rob's own videos and everything he did with like Rabia and their band stuff and everything. It was Really fun journey to follow. Uh yeah. I guess this is what happens every now and then. Then like people find themselves in very different situations. Rob obviously got married, have, has kids and stuff like that, lives in Malta now. They like it. Yeah. Interested to see where all of this develops and what happens with the victory amps. And I mean I think they have like a few signature artists nowadays and stuff like that. So they do have like other Influences in that sense, but I'm just going to check that now because I've actually I'm not sure
1: who they've got. They've got Rabia, right, and Danish Pete. They both have signature amps. Yeah, but I think Simon. Who else Mac- do
0: they have at the moment? I think Simon McBride, maybe. Simon
1: McBride has a signature amp.
0: Okay. Oh, let's that have a pick. look. Oh, yeah, that's true. He th- does have one. Then there's who am I forgetting? Let me know the names if you find anything. Uh, yeah. Richie Cotson. Ah, oh, damn it. That's true. That's a big name. Yeah. Like, That's a huge name. Yeah. Yeah. So. Let's have a look at uh, the artists. My guess is that they'll be fine. Ah, <laughs> uh, Gusry
1: Govan. Did he have a signature one? I think he maybe did. He had I'm like not sure, s- but I think he had a signature.
0: Yeah, he had like a signature. Or he helped line. design
1: one of them. Yeah. Yeah. The Duchess,
0: maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, I'm just interested to see if Rob will be having like a Batcat signature amp. I've played through Batcats and those are freaking amazing things as well. Though Yeah, Batcat
1: makes some awesome stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My impression of them is that, that they're a bit more old school. But I'm not sure. That might be just my impression of how things are.
1: Yeah, I mean they d- they do make some kind of more forward thinking lunchbox stuff. Like more recently they had one called The Poor. Mm-hmm. Um which seems to be very, very cool as a home amp that you can also do more stuff with. I first came across Bad Cat because Stephen Wilson swears by them. Um, When I worked for H&K, we gave him a TubeMeister 5, and he did go on to record a whole album with that amp, but he's always been about Bad Cat for me, so um, he's the name I associate with that brand. Do you think then that Rob will get a signature Bad Cat? I'm not sure about that. I also think that he doesn't want to tie himself down exclusively to a brand. And I also feel like he's probably thinking about developing his own amps in the future. He's kind of hinted at that in previous videos and I feel like that's uh, that's an area that he hasn't really touched on yet. He had the signature victory but I'm sure he would quite like to have his own personal you know name stamp on a brand of
0: amplifiers. Yeah, I could actually see something like uh you know, like Chapman amps or something like that happening in the future. Like like do the PRS thing or what a Sir thing where you have like the guitars and um, amps and maybe like Chapman pedals as well. Even though I think he has like some pedals going on with a different brand name, but like...
1: Yeah, they had a, a brand. Again, I think it was Rob Chapman and Lee Anderton who created it called Snake Oil.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. And
1: they just have a couple of pedals, a couple of, like, like, a distortion and a boost, I think it was. And again, those are those are pedals which I've never seen out in the wild, but would like to test at some point.
0: Yeah. But I would probably go with that way, like, that route, if I would be him, though. I don't know how to form a pedal or an amp company, so I'm just guesstimating here. <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, he's
1: definitely in the position he can do it. He has connections absolutely everywhere. You know, he knows everybody. And there will be many companies who would love to work with Rob Chapman, I'm sure.
0: You know. Yeah. Yep. Moving on to the next topic. Let's talk about the Apple M2 MacBook Airs or the rumors. There's so, so many rumors about the MacBooks and... I love that industry. Like this is a side note. I li- love the whole like Apple rumor industry because you can come up with anything, and even if you don't get a single detail right, nobody's going to care. But you're going to still going to get the clicks on that video you're going to produce. Yeah, that exactly. Yeah, should have done that, that instead of this guitar thing.
1: <laughs> it seems to be the same with things like digital cameras, yeah. by the way. Yeah. All these kind of modern tech gadgets which are kind of refreshed once every year or once every couple of years you know as soon as the new one comes out the rumor balls start rolling for the next round you know the next Mm -hmm. model which features are not on it how can they improve it what colors are they gonna be yeah crazy that's where the money is on YouTube by the way tech yeah tech stuff
0: yeah and I mean it like they play into what people's like biggest complaints are like for example I think they had like an Apple event some time ago where they unveiled some new computers and there was like, okay, the new MacBook Pro will actually have the U- USB 3.0 port again and it will also have the HDMI port even though they haven't had those in on their Macs for several years. They're suddenly bringing them back because some people want them back. And, you know... Uh, but back to the did, actual did, <laughs> rumors.
1: Did you know, uh, by the way, I just read this yeah, the other day. It's... It's actually illegal to fart in an Apple store. What? Yeah, because <laughs> they don't have windows.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that, right. that's, that's probably the end of the podcast. We'll re- we've reached high point the high and this. The only way is or down. Or the low point. Maybe. Or the low point.
1: Uh, Either yeah. way, these new MacBooks, right? I heard they're really good for
0: musicians. Uh, yes. Indeed, they are. I'm actually rocking two. Well, I have a MacBook Pro, and then I have the cheapest Mac Mini, the M1 Mac Mini, which is actually driving two gigantic screens and fairly big logic projects, and it's like $800 or so. That thing has been really impressive, and that what that is what makes these very interesting because the newer yeah. MacBook Pros and also like MacBook S and all the benchmarks people have done with the M1 that ones that is are freaking powerful for the money. They're like redefining what you can get for a budget-friendly or like at least more budget-friendly laptop. So I think this is interesting. They're talking about maybe like having two separate USB por- USB-C ports on like one on one side and the second one on the other side because right now mine, for example, has just two USB-C ports on the left side and that's it. Uh, MacBook Pro, that is. Um, Yeah. I think it's always interesting to follow these rumors because anytime anyone asks for a computer to record, I'm not recommending these just because they're actually not that pricey anymore and they are going to carry you way long into the future than if you go and buy a $400, uh, you know, some, I don't know not going to name any brands, but like one of those bigger plasticky ones that look ugly and are not fun to carry around and are not that powerful either. These are going to, like, I've been really happy with mine. All all I'm going to say. And I'm still thinking about maybe doing a review on these computers from like purely music production perspective because that's how I run my whole studio. Yeah, exactly. I, I definitely think you should. I've
1: noticed in the last, like, two or three years that quite a few people seem to be making the jump from Macs to PCs, especially when it comes to home solutions. But when it comes to portable solutions, like a laptop, it seems to be that the MacBook Pros, and especially these newer ones, are really kind of well-thought-out and well-designed for people making music on the go. So, yeah, that's um, yeah, I, I guess people just have to, it's it's a very personal decision, isn't it? In terms of sure. music production, you know, how simple you do things, how many things you have connected, how many bits of tech are in your room and stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's it's a hard decision. And I think everybody should basically go to the store if they can at some point and mm. try the options out before they buy, because even these smaller things are quite a lot of
0: money, right? Sure, sure. they are, I'm going to guess the cheapest one is seven eight hundred dollars maybe something like that might be a a little bit more when it comes to a lap because it's a laptop the cheapest uh mac mini is seven seven fifty in us i think something like that but that's like a desktop computer still need like a display Mm. for it as well uh but yeah like, I've, I've been fairly impressed with the M1. There's some issues with it, obviously, when it comes to backwards compatibility. But most of the stuff has been fixed now. But the first couple of months were a bit rough. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's interesting. And diving into the last topic of uh, recent happenings, Stevie T, channel with over 2 million subscribers, got hacked a week, a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Um, oh boy it's I, I don't know there's something absolutely ridiculous about how all of this kind of goes like your channel gets hacked and then they like either delete all the other content on your channel or just put it on private and I think on his channel there were like the hackers were streaming like some cryptocurrency something something on there which was weird
1: Yeah, I saw a video
0: from Stevie
1: saying, um, yeah, he woke up and his phone was going crazy one day and he knew something was wrong. And then he looked at his channel and all his videos were gone and he couldn't access his channel. And there was just like some kind of cryptocurrency sort of live stream going on or something. So that's what had happened. What a what an awful, crazy thing to happen to you. This is um, it's for me when I think about professional YouTubers who have everything invested in that one platform, you're literally a couple of passwords away from getting hacked. Yep. And Stevie was lucky because he has a big channel and therefore the power to get reinstated. But if you don't have that and you lose everything, then suddenly your career can be gone. You know, if you can't reaccess your channel, if you lose access to all your subscribers and all the people who are interested in your stuff, that's it, you're done. And I think that, leads to probably another interesting topic, which we can discuss in the future, which would be, you know, YouTubers moving off YouTube and making specific products, making mailing lists externally, making things to sell, like courses, for example, with which, you know, you have a lot of experience now, Vlad. Where do you see this? I mean, what would you do if you woke
0: up one day and your channel had been hacked? Well, first of all, I would probably rally all like, I'm lucky to have a bunch of uh, YouTuber friends who have big channels and big reach. So, like, if we amass an army of people tweeting at YouTube, maybe something would happen. But that's the crazy thing like, when this happens, as a creator, there's actually no way, there's no like uh, email address or anything like that that you can access to actually contact YouTube. Like, it's very, very difficult to contact them in any way. And that, that's the crazy part of all of this. And uh, even with the channel like, like biggest, TVT's is. Who's making thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of euros for YouTube. Uh, they weren't reachable. Like, pe- like, everybody else had to tweet and, like, try to somehow get YouTube support's attention to make this happen. Like, if there wasn't that uproar, who knows how long it would have taken. And, like, we have a friend whose channel got hacked and it took weeks to get it back. And by the time, like... They actually got it back. It was kind of too late. They lost all the momentum. Like, yeah. It was basically end of that channel. Because of what happened. Which is crazy. Yeah. And, yeah. It's something that I'm very aware of. And I'm going to share a few few ways. Like, for anyone anyone else who has a channel. Like, a few ways to protect yourself from these. Uh, but it's It's definitely scary, and I'm like there's a reason why I have a backup of all of my videos that I've created, like the final videos at least, and like if something like that happen, I can at least like have some of the videos back up at some point and like maybe start building the yeah. channel that way, but yeah, scary stuff, and I think I've taken pretty good measures, but there's been cases where hackers have still been able to, like, kind of navigate in between those and still manage to hack their channel. Uh, what, one tip I want to share, like, for anyone who has a channel, like, one way these hacks happen is that you might get some sort of attachment, maybe a Word file in an email. And when you open that email, like, first of all, you need to know that it, you can hide, like, crazy scripts in a Word file. You can have like have, like, code in a Word file. When you open that file, uh, it opens a browser window in your default browser. Like So the browser you have had set in default, it opens something there. And if you're logged in on that browser, if you're logged in on your YouTube channel as well, using that browser, they gain access to your channel. And that's how the hacking happens. That's the pattern I've seen in a lot of these, at least. I'm not sure if that's something that happened to StevT, but so so it's
1: basically like you'll, you'll you'll get an email from somebody saying open this file,
0: yeah, and if you open the file, they basically get access. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So good way to protect yourself is first of all have the two-factor authentication on all the time. That helps. Yeah. Uh, then also set your default browser to something else than the channel or like the browser you use for your for managing your channel. That helps a lot. Have you have uh, some sort of like virus software that maybe scans your emails before you open them? That will help. And I'm not sure if VPN actually helps, but it might help as well. So yeah. Those are some tips that I like. I'm not an s- online security expert by no means, but those are fairly simple measures that can help you avoid that. And we actually like this was something that we discussed in a Facebook group where like uh, we were thinking that it might have might not have been like Stevie uh, T himself who got hacked. But, like, uh, a channel that size probably has, like, he has several people working for him, maybe editing videos or, like, managing the channel and stuff like that. And one of those yeah. people might have gotten hacked. So, yeah. I don't have that luxury of anyone, like, managing my channel for me. So, <laughs> if something like that happens, it's all on me. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. When you get to his
1: size with over a couple of million subscribers, you have a team and it's, like, I guess it's easier for those hackers to, you know, try more people. That's, that's the way it is. Yeah. But yeah, that one tip about not opening email attachments, that's also something I would just say applies to every area of life and not just YouTube. Never <laughs> open any attachment in an email unless you're 100% sure that it's, you know, something safe.
0: Yeah. Never do it.
1: E- even if an email looks like it's coming from a site that you know and recognize and they're telling you to click a link to go here and check out your site or whatever, don't ever do that. Even if you think it might be real, go to that site yourself and log in separately. Never click those links in emails. That would be my advice. Yeah. Because it's it's so easy to get hacked. And, you know, Stevie T was okay, but a lot of us normal people would not be okay from it. So
0: Yeah. 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 Speaking of that, I just got an email from—I don't even know who this is—innovation uh, digital marketing, and they want me to represent a South African leading independent artist. Cool. Uh huh. Sounds like <laughs> exactly the job I want to make or do. Like my channel is perfect for that apparently. Thanks. Yeah, I'm going to delete that email. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Have you considered the fact that you might be incredibly famous in South Africa and
0: you don't know? uh, I haven't. Maybe I am. I need to check my YouTube statistics. Maybe I have, like, maybe I find out 50% of my viewers are from South Africa. That would be something. (laughs) Maybe I'm I'm the second best independent artist without knowing that. (laughs) Who knows?
1: Are you familiar with the, the movie and the book Searching for Sugar Man? Uh, no, I'm unfortunately not okay. That's definitely a story we can discuss in a future episode. Write that down on your list, okay. Searching for Sugar Man, I will. That's directly related to what we've just talked about <laughs> being famous in South Africa without knowing about it. <laughs> so, sounds really good, actually. Good to write no, it's d- a It's amazing. It's uh, yeah, it's an amazing story.
0: Yeah, good. Uh, I think it's a really great segue to like from bad things to worse things because we're going to dive into some of our worst (laughs) yes yay (laughs) exactly (laughs) let's dive into our worst gear purchases ever next all right in this week's host confessions we're going to talk about our worst gear purchases. And as I mentioned in the intro, somehow I ended up with a list of three amps because like, those were the first three things I could think of. And uh, actually, uh, Rich, would I go first? You, you that is? Um, yeah, if you want, I can go first. I've got
1: a couple of things that I came up with. Um, the, the first thing I want to say is that I've never bought a piece of bad gear. Which is a lie, because I've bought, I've never, yeah, it's a hard one. I've never bought a piece of bad gear because I always thoroughly research what I'm going to buy. But what I'm going to talk about is gear that I thought would be amazing for me and wasn't. And therefore it turned out to be my worst purchases because I had to get rid. Generally, I don't really sell much at all because I only buy stuff I know I'm going to use. Let me just pull up the little list that I wrote. So the first one and the most painful one would be a guitar. And that is the Godin Fifth Avenue Kingpin 2, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but is basically a, a hollow body kind of half jazz guitar. And the one I wanted came in a beautiful finish called Cognac Burst. Um, the Kingpin 2 is a, a cutaway model, so it's a big, fat, jazzy body, and it has two P90 pickups. And I first became aware of this guitar when I entered the music industry in about 2010, it must have been 2011. I went to my first music messer and I was just walking around everything having a look and I saw these goading guitars and I saw these Fifth Avenues and I just thought wow that's the most beautiful guitar I've ever seen in my life and one day I will own it. And I tried one there at the music messer and that's not the perfect place to try guitars but It felt nice, you know, it was really good quality. And of course the ones at the Mesa are in the best possible setup you can get. So they play really well and they look great too. And then I carried on lusting over this guitar for quite some time. And in the meantime, I also discovered a band called Larry and His Flask, who I think I've discussed in a previous episode, like this amazing sort of Americana, country folk, punk band from America. And the lead singer and lead guitarist in that band played a Godin Fifth Avenue Kingpin, the, a slightly different version, but in the same cognac burst. And that just doubled my efforts to own this guitar. And then one day I was on a summer holiday in Germany, in this small town in Bavaria, not far from Munich. And there was a music store in this town. And I always go into music stores when I see a music store, because why not? It's also yeah. my job, so it's technically research. And I went into this music store and it was like 10 minutes before closing time. And they had a second hand Godin, Fifth Avenue, Kingpin Two in Cognac Burst. And I was like, oh my God, this is the guitar that I want. And it was 580 euros, which was about half the retail price at the time, which was about 1100, 1200 euros. And I was like, this can't be real. This this can't be the right thing. It, it can't be. How is, this, how is this happening? And I was in so much shock, they closed the shop and I didn't buy it. And then I <laughs> went back on the last day of the holiday, again, arrived like 10, 15 minutes before closing time. And I said, can I try the guitar? And they were like, no, it's we're going to shut in 10 minutes, so you can't try it. And I was like, yeah, but I've literally come here, you close in 10 minutes, and I'm prepared to give you 600 euros, basically, if I like this guitar, can I try it? And they were like, okay. And then this idiotic, <laughs> guy working there took me up to the guitar department and said, "Um, here you go, just gave it to me. And I said, can I plug it in to test that it works and see how it sounds? And he was like, yeah, sure. And he plugged me in with this jazzy goading guitar to like a Marshall MG combo, like the worst, tiniest, buzziest metal sounding digital amp ever. And it sounded terrible. And the guy was very rude, not happy to help me in any way apart from that and I was getting bad feelings about it. The guitar played fine. I was Mm -hmm. happy, but I was kind of a bit flustered of the whole situation. Also talking to this German guy with a very strong regional dialect. And then I said, okay, I'll take it. And can you give me a box for it, please? And they were like, no, we don't have any (laughs) guitar boxes in the shop. And I was like, at this moment, shall I turn away and just not buy this guitar? Because the store is doing everything it can not to sell it to me. So it should have been kind of a message that I shouldn't buy it. But I bought it anyway, took it home in the car. And the long story short is I've looked at that guitar over the years so many times and had it on the wall, but every time I picked it up, I think about the bad purchase process that I went through to get it. And the other thing is that the P90s in that guitar, are super low output didn't really work for me. And the guitar itself, the setup on it was very good, but I had to have it reset every three to six months because it kept kind of the neck kept bowing, Mm. not being straight anymore. And the action kept changing and the intonation kept going out. And so I had this lovely, beautiful guitar, the the prettiest I've ever seen just sitting there because I couldn't play it. And when I did pick it up, I felt bad. And so about a year or so ago, actually, yeah, a couple of years ago, just before COVID, I sold it again and I sold it for 580, no problem, because that was a really good price for it. I got Mm. a great setup done on it before I sold it to a guy and the guy has been very, very happy with it. It's perfect for him. But for me, that is probably forever going to go down as the worst gear purchase I've ever done, because it's this dream guitar that I wanted for so long. And I finally got it in circumstances that were less than perfect. And then I realized it's just not the right thing for me. Hmm. And yeah, I mean, if I ever become a millionaire, I might purchase another and maybe just have it sat on the wall in my mansion <laughs> or whatever, because honestly, I get a pic of it or something, or I'll send you yeah, pictures I, of the one I had and yeah. um, people can see it's, it's such a beautiful instrument. It is. And you know, the guy from Larry in his flask makes it sound so amazing when he plays it live and on records and stuff. But for me, it just didn't work. So that's the guitar for me. A great guitar, but my worst purchase at the same time. Shall I do my other one as well? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. The other one is, again, like a great piece of equipment, but I just didn't understand it at the time. This was when I was like maybe 15 or 16, and I had my first job, and I had a little bit of money, and I had a cheap Strat copy and a cheap Epiphone SG, and I wanted a couple of pedals, and I was a huge Rage Against the Machine fan, and I went to the local music store again and wanted to get a distortion pedal or two, and I ended up coming home with two of them, the first one was the Marshall Jackhammer, which I still have to this day. It cost me about £20 at the time, and it just, it's super metal, but it does a great overdrive sound too. And I still love that pedal for sentimental reasons. And the other pedal I bought that day was a Big Muff. And it wasn't just any Big Muff, it was a Big Muff. Um, it was a Russian pie version in the black box. So it's mm. like a very big black box with a yellow pie symbol and three sort of chicken head knobs on it. And they sold it to me as a great all-round distortion pedal. I got it home and realized that it doesn't sound like any of the distortion that I want to make. It didn't yeah. do any heavy rock or tight metal or rage against the machine or anything like that. And I ended up selling it for about 50 pounds. And I realized that these days I could probably sell it for at least two or 300 if I wanted to, yeah. but <laughs> if I had just hung on to it, I would have an amazing big muff pedal, but there you go. So in that sense that was my worst purchase i didn't understand it got rid of it and now getting one back is not really an
0: option yeah so there you go man i i can especially relate to that guitar story because uh, like the like guitar is a bit I, I feel guitar is like out of all of the like guitar related the gear guitar itself is kind of most personal to me at least because you kind of connect with it in a different way than you do with a pedal or an amp and it's like that and like that's yeah where your kind of expression starts and if it's like i'm putting this in air quotes like tainted in like with that kind of like buying experience i can totally get like it it just it's not fun <coughs> they, they kind of ruin the guitar for you in a way
1: <laughs> yeah exactly and that guitar will forever be tainted for me in a way. And there's actually even another little story that taints it further for me, because those guitars come from the store, from Mm. brand new, with a like a gig bag. It's halfway between a gig bag and a hard case, right? So it's like a soft, but hard, sort of a soft shell case, whatever it's called. And they cost about a hundred pounds separately. And this did not come with my secondhand guitar when I bought it, it was completely without a case, or even a box, as we know. And um, I wrote to Godin and said, hey guys, I got this guitar. Could I please get a case? Because you can't buy them at normal dealers or anything like that, because those cases come with the guitars. And um, then a guy wrote back to me and said, yeah, sure, it's gonna cost you 150 pounds. Just in that way. And then I scrolled down the email and there's like two or three emails in this email chain and at the bottom, you can see my original message to the website saying, Hey guys, I'd like to get a, a case for this guitar. And then the next message comes from someone who works for one of Godin's distributors in a certain country, literally just saying, Hey, to the other guy, this idiot wants to buy a case. Can you sell him one at full price? What? And then the guy had left that in the message and replied to me saying, there you go, 150. And you know what? I didn't end up buying a case in that situation. Oh, oh really? And that's just I, w- another I wonder thing why.
0: That, I wonder why. Yeah, and
1: that's just another thing that gave me like a, a very wow. bad feeling in my stomach about owning that guitar and about dealing with that company. And it's weird because Godin is a company I absolutely love, and I've only had great interactions with them, the people that I've spoken to before, and the people at trade shows. Nothing but good things to say about it. I still love the guitars, but this one instrument was just not meant to be. For me, for some yeah. reason, so, so, there you so go. sounds like that.
0: Wow! Wow! Yeah. Wow! Wow! Yeah, yeah. My my worst buying experience, like worst gear purchases, have been uh, because of my own stupidity and being <laughs> impatient. I don't. I, I like uh-huh. literally mean that. Like uh, the number of thing like. As soon as we thought about this topic, my number one thing was like, okay, it it has to be the Mesa Boogie. Like, well, okay, first of all, I had a phase in my life where I've went through like six or seven Mesa Boogie amps. Like, I, I for whatever reason they were like a thing for me for a while, and uh, this one was my. I'm gonna say it was my second Mesa Boogie amp, I think. And it, it didn't stay at my place for long. I bought it used. I had just sold my previous Mesa Amp. I think I had, like, a head and a cabinet in, like, a student <laughs> apartment time, which obviously makes a lot of sense. And, and like, a, if anyone has ever played any Mesa Boogie amps, they're heavy. Like, they're heavy to carry. So I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to swap to a more portable one, so I'm going to get, like, a Mesa Boogie combo. <laughs> uh, I found... Um, I bought the... Oh, like, I started asking... No, I think buying this combo wasn't, like, a huge issue. But uh, I pretty much immediately realized after I got it that, nope, this web uh, combo isn't for me. Like, I'm not too big of a fan when it comes to, like, a rectifier sound. Not my thing. Yeah. And selling this damn thing was quite a show. Like, uh, I got... Very few people were interested, but then there was this young guy who was—I'm pretty sure he was under 18—who uh, was okay. interested, and he had a, and he was like really interested. I think he came by with a friend to try it out. I was like, ah, this is good. And what happened next was like this boy's dad started messaging me, trying to get the <laughs> price lower, like fairly aggressively. Oh yeah fairly yep. aggressively like I, I would get like two or three messages a day for several days <laughs> like I stopped replying <laughs> at some point I was like I think uh, at some point I was uh, at, like just replying like, hey I think I'm asking for a fairly decent price compared to other similar amps on the market so like this is like my final offer and they kept messaging me then the boy started me- texting me as well and like for a week it was like I don't know It just was so ridiculous in so many ways. Uh, I guess the silver lining is that they did end up buying the amp, and I was just happy to get rid of it at that point. Wow. Okay. uh,
1: Never again. And did you get the price that you wanted, or did you give in to their demands
0: at the end? I like the the way I usually set a price is that there's always a little bit of wiggle room or nowadays what I yeah, do yeah. is I yeah. usually include the price of shipping into the price as well so yeah. like within Finland at least I I don't really ship anything outside Finland because it's ridiculously expensive yeah but yeah I got rid of it but uh, again Kind of same that happened with your guitar is the fact that it wasn't that the amp was awful or anything like that. It just wasn't for me. But the whole like selling experience, like I I was so angry and frustrated (laughs) during that week (laughs) because I think like when I was selling it, I also kind of needed the money. I think like something that seems to be a recurring theme in my life. My car needed to be fixed. (laughs) as of as, rec- <laughs> as of recording this right now i spent the whole day yesterday getting my car's windshield replaced so like this is a recurring theme in my life and like i needed the money <laughs> and wanted to get rid of the amp and that's why i like i didn't like straight out tell them that no i'm not selling it to you because yeah i think i needed the money but boy oh boy uh I'm going to continue the next one, and we are again talking about Mesaboogie because next <laughs> I decided to get a compact combo. Uh, a Mesa Boogie mm-hmm. Mark 4 compact combo. They actually have two combos sizes there's a compact one, and then a, I don't know, just a standard one, which is a bigger combo. It looks cool. It's actually pretty small, but that thing weighs. Thirty-seven point five kilos. Thirty-seven. Thirty-seven point.
1: Wow. Okay. That's it's, heavy. It's. Uh, What's that? What's that in pounds? Wait, let me uh, just
0: calculate. Yeah, Be- please do that while I'll continue my story because, like, uh, it was the heaviest piece of thing ever. It absolutely that is ridiculous. Eighty-two point
1: six pounds. Yep. Eighty pounds. Oh my god. I mean,
0: it's a 100 watt amp with a gigantic transformer then they are also using uh it has a custom mesabook speaker in it as well uh yeah. some some of, some of their own magnet so all of that adds up in weight. Yeah, and uh, solid
1: woods as well I guess. Yeah. Very solid
0: woods. Yeah. This is from I think this one was from 90s. So like like it was pretty worn out and everything like cool amp sounded amazing actually and stuff like that but it was absolutely impossible to carry around like uh i was still living in that student apartment and had these small stairs that i always had to walk down with it and there were like several times where i nearly fell down with that thing and i don't know maybe the amp would have survived but the floor or my door wouldn't have when they were (laughs) hit with that thing uh did
1: it have wheels underneath it so you could push it when it
0: was on The floor? Uh, Well, yes, but because it's a compact combo, it's, like, only, I don't know, 40, 50 centimeters tall. So, like, you, it's it would be very difficult to, like, crouch and try to roll. Like, maybe I should have added, like, a rope and just drag it (laughs) or something like that. But, like, even though it's a compact combo, it's one of the most unpractical things I've ever had in my life. So, that's why I ended up selling that as well. And... The third amp that I really regret selling, uh, I'd say these are in the order, uh, or like the third amp I regret buying, let's put it that way, uh, was a Cornford Roadhouse 30 combo. Uh, I think Cornford were mm-hmm. at least at some point as- associated with Guthrie Govan, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. And Martin Kidd, I believe. Ah, that's
1: that's true. That's true. I'm gonna like, Google that again as well, just to be sure that I'm not yeah. telling lies.
0: <laughs> and this was like their thing when it came out. I'm not sure uh, this photo is dated at t- 2012, so yeah, like roughly 10 years ago. Uh, they were kind of making a bit of name, and few yes. of my friends had, Martin had the kid. Yeah, well done us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, got this combo. It didn't sound anything like in the demos. I saw at the time. I think it just it was way heavier than I kind of initially thought it would be uh, Completely unpractical for any kind of home use. It was clearly designed to be used in a band setting So you need to like really crank the volume to get anything out of it uh, Because I bought it from UK trying to return the damn thing was freaking annoying I think I paid like 70 or 80 euros to get it shipped back to UK and I very, very much regret buying that without well, there was no way to try it out in Finland. Nobody uh, up to this date I think sells convoy amps in Finland. Uh, but that was just a stupid impulse buy. Should have thought about it a bit more before buying it.
1: Yeah, I mean we've all made impulse buys though. It's um Yeah it's just harder when you do it with an amplifier, I guess, because yep. they're so big and bulky and in terms of shipping as well. But that that's another point, actually. Products not sounding anything like they sound in YouTube demos in reality. That's definitely
0: something we should discuss in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So many show notes. Like I think like I'm going to make a special episode where we just go through all the show notes we've put for ourselves. <laughs> just yeah. going to rewatch all the sixteen damn episodes and just cut all the show notes together to have like an ultimate guide for podcasting like guitar podcasting something like that maybe I'll call, do yeah, a exactly. compilation videos. of those <laughs> when I have some topics here's 20 of them enjoy <laughs> but yeah uh, there's probably other w- like awful awful purchases Will I'm happy to come back to the, this topic in the future I got a bunch of pedals for example that I was just like hey this is probably cool nope and it was gone within a couple of days Type of things. But, I think we could talk about uh, my Tokai talk- Strat briefly next. Mm-hmm. Alright, this guitar kind of goes into uh, category of I was in a transitional period between getting my Tele ready, this was like uh, fairly close before my Tele was actually done, and for whatever reason, I decided to get a strat as well. I just, w- oh yeah, my like at, at the time I was working on my tele. A friend of mine was uh, working on a strat. He was building a strat at the same guitar building course where I was building my tele. I was like, okay, I need to get a strat. So I found this fairly affordable. I'm gonna say about 400 euros for it. Tokai strat that actually sounded really good. Very classic. Kind of, uh, is that like a tobacco burst? So like from yellowish to black without like, I don't th- think it has like red hint on it, on it like that. No, pretty sure that's a two color burst. Yeah. Yeah. Looks maple- nice. Ne- yeah. Maple neck, maple fretboard, uh, three single coils, very classic strat thing. Uh, I think it sounds really good. No idea why I sold it which is, again, a recurring theme. Uh, yeah. maybe most likely I needed money for a car, a laptop, or just decided to get something else instead. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I have a sp- soft spot for strats, but also, like, this was the time where I learned that, even though I had this for a while, I'm not get, like, I don't get used to the volume pot positioning on traditional strat. I just keep hitting it. I don't know if that's the case with you. That is 100% an issue for me. You know, I
1: recently or fairly recently got my first proper strat and I'm still battling with that every time I play something. the, the I don't know, every few seconds I bash the knob and the volume just goes down a little bit. And yeah. after I've played for 10 minutes, I can't hear anything anymore. <laughs>
0: Yeah, pretty much. I was like, why, why don't I have more gain than this? And like, oh, yes, this is why. Like, that happens to me all the freaking time. That's why the vol I have is actually great. They've slightly positioned it, like, further from the bridge pickup, and that makes all the difference for me, at least.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are people who modify their strats, and they'll take off one of the tone pots and put the volume control in the position of the middle pot. And... I suppose I could do that, but I just, I don't want to. I, I like the look of it and I'd quite like to keep it the way it is and actually maybe just learn to adapt my technique yeah. so I can actually play a strap properly because I should learn, shouldn't I? It's maybe. my problem, not the guitars. Yeah.
0: Do you like, uh, for me, one of the reasons that uh, volume volume positioning is a problem is because I kind of anchor my hand on the bridge quite a lot. Do you do that? Yeah. I anchor my hand on the bridge a lot and I palm mute quite a lot as well. Yeah. Exactly. And so my hand
1: is always pretty much there. So, yeah, that's the way. Yeah. Yep. that That's why and also I... I, I think I alluded to the fact that I own a banjo a couple of weeks ago, oh, again, true. connected to Larry and his flask. And if you play a banjo, you're always anchoring these two fingers or at least the middle finger to the body of the, the instrument just below where the bridge is, and I kind of similarly do that when I play acoustic guitar as well for finger picking. And I just when I play electric as well, my hand is just kind of there and that's where the volume pot is on on a Strat. So yeah,
0: yeah. another show note, most unplayable guitars. That's topic to discuss. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, could be for any reason, including like hand positioning or just the looks something that's a good idea. That's a good topic idea. Well Mm -hmm. done us again. Uh, Yeah. Uh, as I mentioned, no idea why I ended up, ended up selling this. And I ha- seem to have a soft spot for, like, sunburst, traditional strats, because I also, like, when I was a Toman in 20... Was that 18? 19? One of those years when the synth event was happening. Uh, I'm going to say 19. I'm going to say 18. Okay, 18.
1: 19 then. Yeah, maybe 19. Yeah. Was uh, it the second or first? Yeah, wait. No, it, it must was be the, 19. Yeah, it was... I, the yeah. first year they ran just TGU, just the guitar one, and then in the second year they ran a synth event, yeah. and they tried to do some other stuff as well, I think. And yeah. that was the last year, because 2020 nothing happened.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was 2019 then, and I bought a Fender Roadburn 50s Strat. Yeah, that I remember. Event. Yeah, so, uh, which again was uh, like a sunburst thing. There's actually a review in my channel of the guitar, which I don't have anymore, but, you know, and now the Vola I have, like, when Vola contacted me and asked, like, hey, sh- uh, should we do something together? Can we send you a guitar? I was like, yep, that's the one. And it's. Can uh, we send you
1: a guitar? What a luxurious position. <laughs> yeah, you only hey, have lad, to. Would work- you like one? We've got Vola guitars everywhere. Please take this spare guitar that we have no room for in our factory.
0: Yeah, it, it only requires you to work for free for three years and do like 20,000 hours or something. Something steep, listed or whatever, and then you can have a guitar. <laughs> yeah, I guess it balances out in some way, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Mm. But yeah, the, I have a soft spot, and I could see myself getting something like this in the future as well. I kind of want like the Vola kind of does the Strat sounds, but I also it's a bit more versatile and maybe a bit hotter pickups. I want to get something with like low, like very. Low output vintage style pickups at some point. Yeah. But, what uh, what
1: was it about the road one strap that you didn't like? The radius. It
0: was 7. Uh, what, 7.5 what? tiny yeah. frets. Tw- tw- 7.25 tw- yeah. I mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 0.25. And even though Chris from Thoman actually like uh, fixed it in a way, again putting it in quotes so you could actually bend on upper frets. Uh, with that radius it's still like i played live with that a couple of times and i noticed that uh i just like my hand kept slipping and i would uh, like i'm trying to fret a chord and then <laughs> the high e string goes out of bounds if you will and stuff like that and like it just made it impossible to play i just yeah, never got yeah, used to yeah. it even though it sounded so good and it felt amazing because it was the road one strat Looking back, maybe I should have just swapped the neck or something, but, you know, you live and you learn. You do. Yes. Uh, I think we want to answer some of your questions and comments next. I think we do. Questions and comments. Aaron Anthony on the Albanez AZ HH versus HSS with Tom Quayle. This is from 42 gear street. Me and Tom Quayle take a look at the Albanez AZ guitars and compare the two humbucker and the HSS ones. And he says that I think the reason the HH, HH neck humbucker position sounds brighter than the HSS neck is and the middle is in series is that he thinks they used 500k pots on the two humbucker one and 250k pots on HSS model. He might be right, though I'm not 100% sure. Like how you wire an HSS guitar compared to like an HH guitar.
1: Yeah, I mean that they probably sure. would be slightly different. 500k would give you a brighter sound, I guess you'll have to check with Ibanez to find out what exactly they do. But I've recently been looking at the differences between strats with an SSS and an HSS combination and have found out that it's not always that simple just to put a humbucker Mm. into an SSS guitar because you have to think about these pot values and stuff. So there there definitely is something in that. And also
0: it's like Uh, on these two Ibanez guitars, I think the HSS models are 22 frets and two humbucker ones are 24 frets, which means that the pickups are also in a different position a little bit.
1: Exactly, yep, so that Uh would affect it too. I also know that Fender, for example, on their most recent kind of American-built guitars where they offer humbuckers, they often use the Shawbucker, right? And there are two different varieties of that Shawbucker, and one is used for HH guitars and one is used for HSS because it um, matches more to the two single coil pickups compared to another humbucker. So there's a Shawbucker 1 and a Shawbucker 2. So there's definitely something in that, and I reckon your commenter is. Yeah, could be. Correct. And like,
0: if someone knows more about this, let us know because we are always interested to learn more and stuff. Like, the, <laughs> the less we can guesstimate here and the more we can actually present you with facts. That's great. And comments like these help a lot. So thank you. Question number two, Luis Vasquez. Hey, Luis. Again, you're making the show like every week from now on, seems, which is good. Uh, He comments on the previous Cat Friday's episode and mentions uh, that the amp list got me thinking about my current amp situation, which is no real amp. The two I have are damaged and no one (laughs) knows how to fix them. He uh, here's like a vintage Polytone and a JC77. I'm actually not familiar with either of the amps. Uh, terms of the amp, tube amps are very rare and way too expensive because of the import fees. So, the way I've survived the few gigs I've played before the pandemic is to have a laptop running, an app sim, and my pedal board. I'm bringing my UR44, which has two output buses, so I can have the monitor signal from the desk in my headphones and send them the guitar signal on the other bus. <laughs> it always confuses the mix, guys. Uh, but this way I can <laughs> control my own monitor level without depending on the sound. guy. Works great for silent stages like churches. I don't know what you guys think of this weird setup of there's a better option for it considering this is a third world country. Luis, <laughs> uh, I'm not... I don't remember exactly where you live, but yeah, I, I've feel you, and, like, I think a lot of people don't have any real amps, sort of speak, anymore. And it just makes sense because a lot of other solutions are way more practical, whether it's a laptop or some sort of modular, for example.
1: Yeah, I think the only potential downside of having a laptop on stage is that, you know, a laptop can crash. Yeah. You know, or freeze, and, and that's the only thing. But, you know, a tube amp can blow a tube and then your tube amp is gone, or a digital amp can stop working, or even a solid state amp can fail at some point. So none of these methods are kind of fail safe, you know? Yeah. And if you have no other option than to do what you're doing, that actually sounds like a pretty cool method, especially having your own control over your own stage sound and yeah. you being the boss of that, that's a, that's a really good thing. So yeah, based on your circumstances, I would say that's a, a pretty good way to do
0: it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, if you want to uh, have a, like a laptop-less solution, one way to do that would be probably get an HX Stomp, which you can again route in a way where you could like because it has two inputs and two outputs. You can like you would have uh, like a guitar go into one of the inputs, and the second out input would be like a monitor sound coming from the desk, and then you can route everything in that unit. So you could again control your guitar level compared to the monitoring level in your headphones and send a nice sounding affected or not affected like amp simulated sound to the front of the house. That's one way to do it. stomp is killer for that kind of stuff. But again, there's a chance like if you have high import fees on other things, uh, maybe the hx stomp is also expensive there but i feel lion6 has pretty good distribution globally that it could be available for a relatively decent price so that's one option because personally uh i would be a bit scared with a laptop just because it feels like it's more prone to crash than a few other things like again it probably depends on like what kind of amp sims and stuff you're using Like. For, for whatever reason, I'm thinking using them within, like, inside Logic and also playing, like, a backing track in Logic, something like that. But it could be just... Uh, if you're just, like, loading a standalone plugin on your computer and then just using an output on your order interface, then it might be just fine. Yeah. So I
1: would also try and say um, try and get those amps fixed if you can. I yeah. I'm not familiar with the Polytone amp. I've never heard of that before but the JC77 is probably a Roland jazz chorus model and that should be fixable and even if you or your local tech don't know how to do it I would say get in contact with Roland go to their global product support and get in touch with their technicians and surely they have some kind of legacy help and solutions that they can give to technicians and they might be able to help you get that one working again. But I'm yeah. sure if that's working, that's probably
0: a pretty cool amp. Yeah, most likely. So yeah, good suggestion actually. Didn't think of that. And uh, moving on to the third question. Uh, not well. Actually, this is another question. This is a comment. Uh, Trevin Bracken comments on my Vola Oz Rmn unboxing video. Wow, I expected an Ibanez. <laughs> I'm shocked. I will say I'm not exactly sold on the current American Fender products. I just picked a uh, made in. Mexico Vintero modified 50 Strat over an American performer because I truly liked it better. This sounds way better than and any American Strat has on the market now. Uh, now, has on the market now. I love Japanese-made instruments. My favorite I have is my 2002 Fendercraft in Japan, Jackstang. This was exciting. Uh, what I want to kind of take from this comment is like... Uh, there's something about Japanese made instruments that makes them feel different than US made instruments. Maybe not worse or better in either way, but I don't know what it is. Like I, you've probably played like both US and Japan made instruments. Have you noticed the yeah. difference?
1: I guess I do, but I've not played them enough kind of in terms of direct monetary comparisons to know the difference. So the Strat that I have is actually an old Japanese Strat. Ah, And I love that. And I actually prefer that to basically all of the Mexican and all of the American ones I have tried as well. And I include custom shop Strats in that too, because I've tried custom shop ones as well. It's interesting that you say that. And I kind of feel like maybe Japanese instruments have a different level of consistency to them could be i'm not sure it's just this intangible thing that seems to make them different but Mm. what trevin said there is something that i've heard from a lot of other people as well especially when you consider you know what fender is putting out right now the fender ranges and japanese instruments here in germany have an amazing reputation you know especially if you're thinking about late 80s early 90s strats and tellies they sell for prices that they probably absolutely shouldn't. They sell for a lot of money.
0: Yeah. I don't know, the like I, I've had some US made guitars. I've had several Japanese made guitars. and um, yeah, there's something maybe it's the consistency. Maybe it's just a different climate that affects like when they dry the wood there, maybe it comes out some somehow different because there's this weird kind of all I can do is describe it as solidness if you will like yeah. they feel like super solid and dense as well a lot of the japanese instruments feel like dense and like super solid and that that doesn't mean they're necessarily better but there's something about them where they feel different and i guess having played a bunch of bad finished Gibsons, for example, I do have more faith, like on average, I do have more faith in a Japanese-made instrument than in a US-made one. But that really depends on the brand as well, obviously.
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah. And th- the other part of this comment was that Trevin just got a uh, Mexican Vintera modified 50 yeah. strat over an American performer because that one just seemed to be better. And I would always say that you know, Made in America is not always a seal of Quality in the same way that made in China is not always a sign of poor quality. You know, you can get an amazing instrument made in any country, and you can also get a bad instrument made in any country. And if you've got the opportunity, like Trevin had, to try out a bunch of different ones at a bunch of different budget levels, then do that. You know, my number one guitar which I've had since 2014, is my Fender Mexican Telecaster. And I've played so many different Telecasters over the years, and this one just rings and sits and fits in my hand just perfectly. You know, one day I'm sure I'll find another, and it might be American, it might be Japanese, it might be Korean or Indonesian, who knows? But for me, this Mexican Tele does absolutely the job that I would want it to do, and I wouldn't change anything else about it, apart from the pickup
0: that I did change. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Completely agree, and like if you get a chance, just go and try them out. Uh, I've heard a lot of good things about the Mexican made guitars Fender is producing nowadays. Like, seems like there's yeah. uh, like uh, an uptick in quality over the past few years, with the, especially with yeah. the new m- models they've been putting out. So, that's really cool.
1: Yeah, we haven't even talked about their newest models. After the yeah. Vintera came the Noventa. I think Ah. they came out a couple of weeks ago and there's some pretty interesting looking models that maybe we could discuss in future. Hang on. My doorbell just rang. Go ahead.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Rich has received whatever he had received. And I think we probably need to just jump to uh, the most finished thing I've put on this show yet, which is, well, yeah, let's jump to the weekend watch and discuss that a bit more in a second. Watch it watch it watch Watch video It's not like we have anything else to do. This week's Weekend Watch is by uh St- Steve N. Seagulls. <laughs> First of all love the name. They are basically this kind of folk-ish I don't even know how to describe cover band. They do this kind of hi- I-, I wanna say almost like hillbilly versions of very famous songs. That's how they became well known and they have their new show called Seagull's Nest and we're talking about episode 3 here with Sammy Albana who is from a Finnish metal band called Lost Society uh, a young guy that is just so freaking talented both singing and playing wise and their band is really good and they uh, become pretty big. I, I remember seeing them like when they were 16 years old playing at a local festival in two thousand and eleven and they've gone on and done a lot of cool things since then and this show is like encapsulates so many things about Finland. They drive a rally car in snow at a crazy speed they go to sauna they have a mustard tasting thing going on. <laughs> <laughs> all these other things that happen in that episode I highly highly recommend it it's a lot of fun they also play a couple of cover songs there as well with Sammy which is really cool just yeah if you want to know what it's like to be a Finn during the winter time you need to watch that that's all watch I can say <laughs> 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 because yeah I'll be watching
1: it I- I've heard of the band but I've not heard of the documentary I Clicked in when you sent me the link and saw a couple of the scenes, and I'm definitely going to be watching that. It looks yeah. like a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, yeah, as I mentioned, kind of uh, if you want to understand Faith's a bit more, watch that. That's all I can <laughs> say. And uh, that wraps up the Galactic Friday's episode number 16. Thank you so much for watching/slash listening. Uh, I'm losing the S's at this point of the day. And again, like, share subscribe review comment ask us questions all kinds of things thank you rich again for joining i mean to hear what ups brought you to you but we'll do that off camera mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah have a great weekend see you next week bye podcast that's that's how we bye, podcast Bye, podcast